Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right, Pierce. Uh, to get us started this week, we're finally we're back after losing an episode. Uh, sorry again to to everyone who was really excited to to hear us last week. Uh, all I assume three of you. Yeah. Um, but but to bring us back, I, I have a I have a quotation. I have a quote for you. Um, we we've done an episode on oral histories recently, and I just finished the uh, the tome. Those guys have all the fun. Uh, on the founding and running of ESPN. Oh, okay. Uh, and and they, I was, they used to do sports programming. Now they just have aged uh, uh, former NFL people, right? Yeah, and uh, no name journalists reacting to a Twitter feed live on air. Oh, pretty wow. much. Uh, so uh, I, I was I was struck by this uh, this thing that someone said. Uh, he said, "I'm not a cliched speaker." I just give it to you from the bottom of my journalist's soul. Now, do you know who said that? Um, it's probably someone who I'm not going to think of as much of a journalist. <laughs> uh, that Those are the sage words of John Edward Skip Bayless II. <laughs> I, I was going to say that Skip... So Skip Bayless, I believe, did a lot of the SMU coverage. When that first broke. I think so. Which, incredible work. A very important work. Since then, just, oh man, <laughs> he's got two. There's an overconfidence. He just, he's always shooting. He he might be J.R. Smith. <laughs> he might be he would be so upset if you, if you heard you say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and he said something, I was going to say, he said something the other day really just bad about LeBron, but he does that every day, so it's not worth reflecting yeah. on. Um, is he one of those Kobe stands we talk about? He and Jason Whitlock both are. Jason Whitlock said some. Jason Whitlock said some very just stupid stuff about LeBron's HBO show, and how that made him a Kobe fan because Damon Young, who uh, at the root, who's great, whose book I have pre-ordered, reacted to it. It's just Jason Whitlock, stop! Just stop! Ten years ago, whatever you're doing, it's it's tired. It's old, but. Those are people that are writers and, and and things that that we don't like, and their products are kind of subpar. I think, fortunately, we can maybe talk about something we do like today. Yeah, so we're we're gonna stay in the world of TV. Um, uh, probably a month ago or so, uh, the the Ringer uh, did this great big ambitious project where they ranked the 100 best TV episodes of mm-hmm. the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, they did this funky thing where it wasn't really the 100 greatest episodes of TV. It was really the, uh, they had a rule where they would only take one episode from a show. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly the best. Um, and, and they talked about it and they said, we didn't really want to, you know, kind of over overload on the pantheon of like the big cultural moment shows like lost game of Thrones. Yeah. The wire Sopranos. Breaking Bad and Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Men. We haven't really talked about Mad Men in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while, honestly. Which is we. I. I probably sounds crazy, but 
people talk about revisiting a book every year. A book that I've tried to revisit is Sir Gowan of the Green Knight every now and again. I usually watch Mad Men once every year. I watch the, the whole thing. Se- the whole series are a good bit of it just because there are so many. I mean, this summer it, it, this summer is 50 years since the summer of 1968. That is something that they engage with on Mad Men. I mean, it is a good going back to cultural flashpoints and trying to understand in period pieces. We do this all the time. Understanding that time. It's helpful historically. And then... I don't know, also in, and we'll probably touch on this, but in the Me Too era, seeing, looking back and how women are treated in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny for me because of how, you know, people talk about joke density for comedies, mm-hmm. and I would say for the first 50 episodes of this podcast, yeah. and for most of the time that I've known you, I've been tracking your... <laughs> value above replacement pete campbell reference yeah and it's very high yeah it's very high uh your your madman reference density very very concentrated um but so the episode of madman that they chose and i'm i'm sure it was in the top 10 um pot it might have been in the top five um is episode seven of season four it's called the suitcase mm-hmm. and it, it's notable for this you know, I- iconic confrontation between Don Draper, the big, strong anti-hero ad man, and mm-hmm. Peggy Olson, the former secretary turned uh, turned copywriter. A- and uh, you know, I, I think that it- it's it's a line, it's a or a it's a discussion that that's had a great impact on you. Wait, so. Uh, you mean the episode is kind of the to frame it for for others so they understand is it kind of in Don Draper the the dogged, understood stalwart figure that that has all this experience in advertising and then the young upstart who's a little bit scrappy who's a little bit um, maybe uh, confident overconfident or that's seemingly what people think kind of mirroring the uh, the certain fight that is the confrontation that is a fixture of the episode namely um sonny liston versus cassius clay well i would i mean i would say that calling don draper understood is a bit of a stretch Un- understood <laughs> but like a known quantity as, sure. as yeah, a, yeah. No, as a big mean. figure yeah so i i was uh i, I watched it this morning mm-hmm. um and I, I was you know I, I had to stop for a second and consider oh it makes sense uh, that in the run-up to the Sonny Liston-Cassius Clay fight, that, you know, the the men of Sterling Cooper-Draper-Price are largely betting on Sonny Liston mm-hmm. because he was a known quantity. And, known and of, course, quantity. of course, that ends in uh, one of the most iconic sports photos of all time. And in this fictional world, uh, a bunch of men in a dimly lit bar... Uh, very upset and yelling at a radio get up get up yeah um the fix is in oh that's right um wow assuming that a loss means that something is rigged that's uh that's that's not familiar at all yeah yeah and if it doesn't go your way then there must be some conspiracy against you there must be something like that no that that definitely rings true but one thing that from the outset is important about this episode and in telling other people to maybe view it as the best Mad Men episode, 80% of the time it is two people talking to one another. 
Yeah. There aren't, there's not, there's not a really a big incident except for, uh, as I, as I like to call it, uh, duck drops a deuce or, or attempts to, um, there aren't a lot of big set pieces. It is the two main characters of the show, ultimately in about the, about the perfect middle of the entirety of the show, mm-hmm. engaging with their past and in a lot of ways engaging with their futures. And maybe this is the most, kind of the most exploratory you get with their characters, especially with one another. But you don't necessarily know that in the moment of this episode. And I think that part of me thinks it's kind of hard to, like on its own, I don't think I could send someone out and tell them, go watch this. It's going to be the best, the best Mad Men episode you've ever seen. Because there's so much that is referenced. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's a good point. It's it's probably the best episode of Mad Men, but that doesn't mean it's... I don't know. I mean, I think it is, in a way, it's kind of the most representative of Mad Men because Mad Men is ultimately, at its core, about people mm-hmm. uh, and about, you know, about Peggy Olsen, who is trying to change her station in life. She wants more than to be a secretary. And Don Draper, the towering titan of the ad industry, who I would say is basically only good at two things in the entire world, which are coming up with ads and doing it while shit-faced drunk. Yeah, I I would say having... um, I mean, he's good at disappointing people. Having bad-slash-hollow relationships and putting bad slash fake slash hollow relationships into print to sell things. I mean, uh, it's, it's really, right, it all but that's just the advertising business. Yeah, that is the, advertising so I, already, business. I already covered. Yeah. That. You, you covered that. <laughs> and I think you have a dynamic character in Peggy Olson and you have someone who is ultimately pretty static in, in Dodger, or certainly he cannot get out of the shackles that he's put himself in. Yeah. I think, and I don't want to, we don't have enough time to talk mm. about the entirety of Mad Men, the series, no. and to go in the, into the whole stra- uh, story of Don Draper. But, you know, for, for a man with as much depth to who he is and, and as complex and complicated a story as he has, it's pretty, it's actually kind of maddening how stubbornly little he grows and changes over the course of the show. So... And I think this is why this episode is so important is he doesn't change because he doesn't want anyone to know that he is kind of anything is affecting him. Even in this. So this season, especially uh, his drinking is hitting a peak and it kind of does for a little bit. But this is a a first peak. There are other peaks, too. (laughs) Um, But he. He's drinking all the time, but he tries to keep it buttoned up. He doesn't want anyone to know. There, There is a very traumatic event that happens with him during – he knows it's happening during the episode, and he learns about it early on that basically this is happening. And to other people, he is buttoned up. You know, I'll get to that call later. I'll call the West Coast later. But he opens up to Peggy, and that's you, – you talk about him you know, being steadfast and everything like that. A big important part of this episode is that they open up to one another in a way that that really is what defines this episode is this comfort they have with one another. But I also feel not not just the darkness, but the relationship is special because it's not romantic. 
it's platonic, but almost more than that. And in reading a little bit, Molly Lambert, who's as an expert on Mad Men as there can be, um, and then another, I have a book on on of Mad Men reviews, which I'll have to look up afterwards to share. It's almost like it's almost like siblings, but in interesting, it's more than they're. I think they're closer than than friends in the way they support one another is. It's not just a normal friendship. It is somehow more than that. It's closer than that. So here is this, I think, is the first of many places where I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Um, I counted three times in the episode where Don does something that is very awkwardly sexual mm. involving Peggy. Number one, you're cute as hell. Yeah. Number two... Let's go someplace darker. Mm-hmm. Number three, the uh, the hand touch over the completed Samsonite ad. Because there is no reason, there's certainly no reason for that to have to happen. It was, like, it was gross. So, if that's a, if that's a brother-sister, if that's a sibling relationship, that's a really weird sibling relationship. I, so in some ways, I think of it as, I'll approach it this way and then unwind. I think of it as is almost like a a two sisters type relationship more than you know I don't I don't have any sisters I am not a sister but in the way I view it it's almost like so the cutest hell thing I see I totally see what you're saying and I think the conversation that they have in that is important I wrote it down too I double starred it basically um he is being supportive of Peggy because she she starts that by saying like I'm I I hate dating. I'm terrible at it. He is being supportive, you know, saying you're you're so smart, you're cute as hell. But then the conversation, you know, she's talking about how everyone thinks that I slept with you, and he's like, no, but you should know you're 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 really really cute. There, it's setting up like I am not attracted to you, but you should know objectively you're cute. And then he she comes back, and this is I think where it also gets into the where I don't find it romantic. They're calling each other out in a way that like is so personal because she says, "Well, not excuse your other secretaries," and then he responds where with, uh, "You shouldn't be giving me uh, morality lessons," which th- both of those are callbacks and call forwards to certain things that have happened in their lives, and then that that proceeds to have a very personal and close conversation about things in each other's lives, including a incident from season one that Peggy had into season two um, that only he knows about. It is so personal and so well known. That's where I say it's it's not romantic. And back again, calling back the handhold in the very first episode of the show, Peggy at the end as a new secretary grabs Don's hand, and he basically says, "You can't do that. Like that's that's not what this is like. I you're my secretary, not my girlfriend." So it's a callback to that, and it's a very supportive like thank you for understanding me handhold. Um, he also does it again when she goes to leave the the company. Okay, uh, all right, I accept that. Um, <clears throat> but that's so. In that moment, this is all. This is all part of a. a this is all sort of part and parcel of of the theme. I thought of the episode, which is uh, Don Draper is uh, is Don Draper the worst manager that's ever existed? Discuss. I I think that there is this idea that if you are a genius in a field 
Like you can just tell people to do an impossible thing, but because they expect you to be a genius or they think you're a genius, you have in your mind how it's going to be done. And so you should just do it because if this brilliant guy yells at me and tells me to do it, it's because he knows it can be done. He doesn't have time to walk me through it. I point to Steve Jobs taking the original iPod and dropping it in water and pointing at the bubbles and said, this should be tighter. Like obviously the iPod could be tighter. You couldn't have the air bubbles come out when you drop the iPod in water. But these men of genius, these people of genius, they give these impossible tasks and people do it because they have so much respect for their genius. So I think he is built in the same vein, which is he just yells at people and says, you're going to do this because I said you can do it and you respect my genius. So, you know, give me ideas. Yeah. Except, you know, I mean, Peggy is ultimately Peggy's ultimately right that you know everything everything that comes through there everything that comes through there that's good is Don's mm-hmm. and everything that comes through that's bad like the heinously awful draft of a Samsonite commercial starring Joe Namath uh, that that makes up the beginning of the episode uh, that's not done that that gets bounced back to to the people it's the you know it's the success has many fathers failure has none Mm -hmm. axiom played out in real life except that it's kind of different because it's uh no matter how many fathers the success actually has uh only one person only one person gets to claim being the father of that success and the difficulty is and this is something that don says is good and awful is very close you know it when you see it it's it's so in close but i think what you're getting at is and for me this might be my favorite exchange in in the whole entire show or slash ever slash it is something i think about a lot which is they're back and forth about getting attribution for for your work and it is when they are talking about an award that Don got for work that Peggy felt like was her idea. Um, and it is about the Clio and it is, which is an award for, for advertising, which is really kind of a funny thing. But, um, and he's, she's saying, you know, that was my idea. And he says, it was a kernel. Uh, that's the way it works. Your job is I give you money. You give me ideas. Um, and she says, but, and then she goes on to say, but you got the Clio. And he's, he says, well, he says, she says, you never say thank you. Yeah. And he says, that's what the money's for. Yep. And so now we reach the second point where I disagree yeah. with you because I think it's not totally unfair to say that this is functionally your guiding principle it in is. life. There's another one of my guiding principles in this episode, which is a part, well, it's more personal. I only apply it to myself really, but as far as this one, yeah, that you know, as far as a manager goes, if that's the worst manager, I just had something happen at work this week. Um, and at the end of the day, most people only care about money. This is this is a thing where we'll discuss it later. Not not here, but um, everyone gets really jazzed about money and everything. And it, my job is to do this thing. And then I get compensated for that. I don't really look for praise outside of that. If I'm looking for praise outside of that, then I don't know, maybe my job should be diff- something different. But I'm not the the currency with which I am getting stuff is praise. And even if I get praised, it should equal more money. That's what I'm thinking about. 
See, I I really disagree with that because sure. I, so I understand the shred of that. I understand the kernel, if you will, which yeah. is that yes, you're you are a person who is employed to write copy for ads, or you're a person who is employed to architect solutions for mm-hmm. the federal government, as it were. As it were. And and so when you sign a contract or an employment agreement, you, you're there's no section on on compensation in the form of, you know, attaboys or kudos. No, and that's fine, but you fundamentally you are working with and for and on behalf of humans. Yeah, your work and the money. The money, I would say, the money is compensation for your time. The money is compensation for, actually, sorry, no, that's the opposite of what I mean. The money, I accept that the money fundamentally, the money is the compensation for the thing that you do, but you're more than the thing that you do. There, You are the collection of skills and thought and time and effort that produced that thing. And those, those things, I, I would say, are not appropriately compensated with money. I mean, you need money to survive, and and it's a way. It's a way for a company to signify their value to you. So, but especially so, and, and Sterling Cooper Draper Price is perhaps an interesting example because it's a relatively small company, mm-hmm. and Don is one of the partners, and he likely has a say in setting. Peggy's compensation, but I know that we both work in large or very large companies where our manager has no control over that, yeah. right? Or very so little. Here's, and I think I think you're setting something up that is, for me, is one of the more. Uh, it explains a lot that's going on in the episode, which is if your work is separate from from your life, I think it's easier to say. You know, I don't need praise. I just, you know, you keep paying me. Maybe you give me a raise, something like that. Maybe you pay me more because I do better. But at the end of the day, I have a life. I'm going to go watch the the Sonny Liston, Cassius Clay fight. These two people don't do that because their work is their life. So I think, so there, there is, <laughs> when they have, Peggy says at one point, right after this back and forth, we have personal conversations. In that shot, she and Don are talking. The Cleo is behind her. It's like just over her shoulder, which I, I chuckled at because I noticed it. One thing that's going on in this episode is there is life for them to be doing. Roger calls where it's work and play going on. Even everyone else is at the fight. They're working the entire time. She even calls it, you know, calls at Don saying, it's not my fault. You don't have family or friends or people to go to, um, be, you know, basically cause you're, you're drunk all the time. Um, this is their life. So I think that in that way, the praise matters more to her because she doesn't disconnect. And in this episode, she breaks up with her boyfriend because she's at work on her birthday. Well, and that's that's true. And these are clearly people for whom their work is their life. But I would, I would say that I am a person for whom my work is not my life. I actually try really hard to mm-hmm. separate the two things out. But that also doesn't, like, you know, even... It's, you know, if you work eight hours a day, like during the week, that is 
one third of the time that you're alive. And if you're, um, you know, if you sleep, and if you are proper, if you're up on the the trends and you're getting your eight hours of sleep, that's literally fifty percent of your waking hours. Yeah, and going through half of your waking time on Earth, um, not. Uh, it's very hard for me to square, even as someone who who is a, a big fan of this radical hippie concept of work-life balance um, and separating that church and state, um, that going through life or half of your waking life without the kind of human recognition that you get in the other half, even if you get it plentifully in the other half, that's a joyless, terrible way to go through most of your existence. I mean, I don't want... I don't want my work to be my life. I also don't want to hate my work. Yeah. And, and so I, I think there's a pretty hard limit to how much money can, you know, buy happiness, so to speak. I, like you could, you could compensate me more and I'm not going to be happier. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm certainly, if you doubled my pay tomorrow, I'm certainly not going to be twice as happy as I am in my current situation, right? I don't think you would be twice as happy. So, so there's something there's something missing from that equation, and mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that. I, and I and I feel this because I have worked for a series of managers that have done a good job of, you know, and, and it's not like a a wild thing. I need constant praise all the time, but just the recognition that you did something well is more than just the money because frankly, someone who does a mediocre job, like in over the long run, if you are good at what you do and someone who does the same thing is slightly worse than you are, Mm -hmm you're probably going to make more money. That's fine. But in a snapshot in time, that's not necessarily the case at all. Another thing that resonates on that with me from this episode is is that I try to think about when I switched jobs mm-hmm. over three years ago now, um, I came to the conclusion that in talking about this, um, money isn't worth anything if you don't have time to spend it. And that time isn't worth anything if you don't have people to spend it with. These two individuals in this episode, they're talking about money. They're, they're talking about money. Praise yeah. praise usually comes from you know people that you want to spend. You, know, you appreciate the praise because of the people it comes from a lot of the times, uh, I think. Um, so these people in this episode have, they have the money, but they are not taking any time outside of where they're making the money. They, they work all night. Mm-hmm. And also, they are actively cutting off people. Uh, yeah. Peggy cuts off her whole family and her boyfriend in one of the best breakups ever, including a phone call that includes her mother and everyone at the table kind of saying like, yeah, you know, you should have broken up with our our, our daughter or our sister or sister-in-law because she's being a jerk. It really is quite a heel turn by the Olsen family. Yeah, it was. It's so, it's so great. I hurt the... The character of her mother is is one of my favorite, like kind of smaller characters in TV. Um, 
and the other thing is he is he is actively working and and drinking so that the person that he says the only person in the world who really knew me um is is spoiler alert is is dying and he doesn't want to face that so they're taking their time and transforming it they're taking the people in their life and cutting them off um to to really just stay at work so this this money they're getting from work has no value in that sense other than you know the cab ride that they'll eventually take home or whatever new shirt he bought to deal with the vomit stain on it um but yeah i think that I'm sure we've talked about this for goodness knows how long already, but I think one thing that I noticed with this episode is these are two characters, and and I mentioned the line about the only person in the world who really knew me, and Peggy responds, that's not true. And the world is an interesting thing here because these are people who have kind of rejected the world that everyone else in their office is engaging with. Mm -hmm. And this this is a language, their world is a language that, only they seem to understand. You know, he's sharing about growing up in a farm. They're talking about both of their fathers dying in front of their eyes. These are things that they don't share with anyone else in the whole series. And it's because that they have a worldview that no one else gets. And that's why something like the handhold at the end of the episode, I see as, you know, you're you are the only living person now who gets me, Peggy. And I appreciate that and I can't express that in words, but you do understand the language of this gesture. I get that, and I, and I can appreciate that from a human perspective. I would, I would say that's a double down on the idea of Don being the worst manager ever, because that's an extreme, <laughs> inappropriate, and untenable expectation to put on an employee. That they are the only, you know, they are now the only remaining person. In the the world 1960s were fortunately a different time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I think, God, we've been talking about this for almost half an hour already. Um, so I don't, I don't want this episode to be as long as the suitcase was. Oh, can we, can we end with the, the my, my other life tenant that yes, comes from this episode? So I'm sure I'll have something to, to quibble about with this so, too. So this episode is, is kind of, so it's Peggy's birthday. It's her 26th birthday. She started working here. You know, and she's 21, 22 years old. Um, and so there are two important other characters that she engages with in this episode. On the secretary route, Megan, um, uh, Cal- uh, in, and then Trudy, Campbell. Um, and they both, in, in the women's bathroom, say things to her. Trudy is pregnant with, with, with child, and so she's a different, different life. She's never worked at all. Um, and I believe she's, she says, you're doing all right, aren't you? And she also, to Peggy, and then she also says, uh, oh, wow, what, where is it? 26 is still very young. So there's this idea already that, that Peggy has maybe missed the boat, and they're saying nice things about her. And then Don says later on, um, uh, you're 20-something years old. It's time to get over birthdays. And, and he, he doesn't know that it's her birthday, but it's like, why are you even thinking about this thing? And for me, though, slightly different, not because I'm old, but I am very, like, anti-birthday. And it, it dovetails with the the praise part of this episode, which is, you know, my job is, is you know, to give ideas or whatever, and that's what the money's for. I don't need praise. And for me, I also get very uncomfortable praise in the form of, of birthdays. And I point and I think about this episode and I think about that, which is, I'm happy to celebrate other people because 
I do want to give other people praise, but I don't feel like I need it to affirm me. Part of building my self-confidence is not having to celebrate myself. And that's through fine. others. And that's fine. You don't need it to affirm you. I, I, I don't feel like I need, I don't need it to affirm me either, mm-hmm. but I would say you're maybe missing the point of what a birthday is. I mean, you, you celebrate people, other people's birthdays. Yeah, and you I like say, doing that. Right. So why do you like doing that? So part of it is, and this also I think works with this episode, the, what I'm really celebrating that is not their birthday. I'm do, I might do it on their birthday, but what I'm doing is I'm celebrating the relationship I have with the other person. Maybe I'm not exactly. Maybe no, I'm not you're squeezing. Exactly right. Yeah. Maybe I'm not squeezing their hand, but it's not. You know, it doesn't have to be at some milestone point. Like, oh, you know, this interesting. You should be appreciating people every day. That's fine, but but it is also you know it's one of the ways we we seem to work as a, a species, which is that. You know, we place importance on milestones and events like that. And you hit the nail on the head. The reason you celebrate other people's birthdays and that you're willing to do that is that it's not about the birthday. It's not praising them for anything. It's a celebration of the fact that this is a person who is in your life and they've been in your life for the last year or longer and you're hoping that they're going to continue to be in their life uh, or that they're going to continue to be in your life for another year. That's how other people think about your birthday. It's the same as a wedding. It's not about you. Hmm. It's a time for yeah. other people. And, and that's, yeah. and like I, you know, I, we do like off, you know, singing happy birthday in the office. And like two years ago, I was so I was so uncomfortable with that that I I asked I actually asked my coworkers not to do it, um, and they they ignored me. Yeah, uh, and you know I was I was talking to somebody about it after the fact, and they 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 opened my eyes to them. Like, it's not really about you, dummy. It's not. <laughs> it's not even. It's not even. That it's not about you. It's not necessarily. For you, yeah. So, I, 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 I get. I, I think that you're you're cor- You're half right. You get half credit because when you're 26, I'm I'm 26. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't go out seeking special attention for your birthday. Yeah. Stop having birthday weeks, folks. Stop. Stop that. Birthday weekends are bad enough. You're stretching this out to a week. That see that. So that's what the money is. Yeah, for. I think I think that the you know what you're saying the real altruistic thing is like if people want to celebrate, let them celebrate, and if you want to facilitate an opportunity for people to show their appreciation of you, you know, go out and do that. Don't lock yourself in the office because because yeah. you're trying to avoid those human interactions that you may or may not enjoy that much. Don't break up with your boyfriend on the phone while he's at a restaurant with your family on your birthday. That's probably a good tip for life. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> All right, and on that uh, that brilliant note, uh, I think we'll we'll probably move on. But uh, if you have thoughts about the suitcase. Mad Men, uh, whether or not I'm right that Don Draper is the worst manager of all time, uh, come find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod and let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we will move on now as we always do 
to uh, Pierce is sorry. And uh, what's on the apology docket this week? Well, so we I am in Charlottesville today. Uh, maybe maybe at some point we can discuss this this car ordeal that I've been in. I don't. Uh, it would be interesting. I would honestly, I'd be happy to do it. If if you're ever in a car accident, please email me and and we can talk through it. I can tell you what I did and what you shouldn't do. Um, and just, you know, be, try to be supportive. Uh, but I had the opportunity today to do something I had never done before. Um, as someone who went to UVA and has spent a lot of time in Charlottesville and I am apologizing for this because how am I to say I know Charlottesville when I didn't do this? I went to Bel Air market for a sandwich today. Yes. You know, I had a Jefferson sandwich, which if you've been there, you probably know what that is because it's what a lot of people get. Really good sandwich. It's a very good sandwich. I had one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and and I feel like that one, from what I've read, is probably what one of the turkey and the wolf sandwiches is based off it's, of. It's literally, it is the sandwich. He's he, Mason Hereford is on record saying that that was his inspiration for starting is the sandwich. Is that Hereford job. of Hereford? Yes. Oh, Descend, my Descendant of one of the relatively few presidents of the University of Virginia. Oh, yeah. Um, I had no idea if Hereford was a, a eugenist or not, because I know that that was popular at a certain point in UVA history. So, um, you know, I certainly apologize if we accidentally mentioned somebody who, who falls in that category. But great, great sandwich. And um, I I would definitely go back. It's a little out of the way. Uh, someone did tell me from the office when I asked, oh, what should I go get tomorrow for lunch? They mentioned... Little John's, which I haven't been to in a long time, and uh, definitely, definitely a better sandwich than a lot of the stuff I might get at Little John's. Not to besmirch Little John's, but different. No, no I think different. I service. think in 2018, it's time to besmirch Little John's. Uh, the uh, it's under new ownership. They finally oh. franchised. They they skimp on ingredient quality and they raise their prices. It's not, and I have this confirmed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that my brother is here and has been to Little John's as a Charlottesville resident, um, he he has indeed confirmed that it's it's pretty disappointing now. Yeah, well, that's fine. I don't have to listen to people talk about Chipotle chicken all the time, which I was <laughs> I was never so convinced by. No, um, I wasn't either. But yeah, I just I enjoying and engaging with a city is one of my favorite things. And I feel like not going to Bel Air market, I did not fully engage with a city that I love and I support. Um, and so I've, I've hopefully fixed that. So next time someone asks me for best sandwiches in Charlottesville, I can give them a more robust and thoughtful answer. Hell yeah. I dig it. Um, and then to close with a big idea from pop culture and we'll actually, uh, we'll stay on the subject of uh, exploring cities and trying new things. Uh, this is what I was talking about last week on the uh, on the recording that is uh, is gone. It's uh, deep in the archives of space. Um, but Emily and I went on a trip to Asheville, mm-hmm. um, a, a place that I had been once when I was a teenager at at most. Yeah, a- and so I hadn't been able to fully explore the city. Uh, and I was excited to go back and be able to drink beer and and you know kind of set our own agenda for what we did. Did you did you happen to stop in or see the McDonald's that's right by the Biltmore? Uh, we saw it, yeah. So we went to the Biltmore. That was our last activity mm-hmm. before we left, and okay. so we we drove by the McDonald's on our way in. Okay, the the McDonald's there is well known because of its 
it's a ridiculous definitely google pictures of it. it i mean it kind of looks like it belongs in like a, a swiss alp town there there is a piano inside the mcdonald's i'm so sad so. i didn't go yeah oh man uh but one thing i did do uh one thing we we one place we did go is uh one of Asheville's fine independent bookstores a place called malaprops and uh, I am super excited to say that uh, if you go to Asheville, you should definitely go uh, in no small part because of this thing they do called a blind date with a bookseller. They have a shelf of books uh, and, and one is in front of Pierce right mm-hmm. now for, for reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're all, they're wrapped up in brown paper and they have kind of like a, a paper, like a book plate on the front uh, that has... A description of the book. It's got some kind of keywords, key phrases, that sort of thing. Yeah. And the idea is that you take a chance based on what they tell you is in this book. And, you know, they, they give you some outs. Like, they, obviously, they don't want you to buy. They don't want you locked into buying a book that you already own or that you already read before or something that you feel like you're really going to hate. So you can, you know, you can exchange it in, in certain cases. Um uh, and I, we both <laughs> decided that uh, most of the money that we were planning to spend on this trip was going to be spent on food and books. Um, you know, it, it's one of the re- reading is one of the things that has been like a you know a real a real bond for us. So we we actually went back a couple times and, and we each wound up buying several of these books. Uh, and and one of mine was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which mm-hmm. I was able to read on a on a flight because it's pretty short. Yeah. Um, and it just it was it was a really neat experience to you know I think we we don't do as good a job anymore of kind of going out on a limb and trying new things. And so whether it's with a sandwich, yeah, or with books, you know, I think we've both had some moments over the last couple of weeks where we really got to kind of step out of our comfort zone, so to speak, and, and try new things and find out that new things are often pretty great. And sometimes new things are the Happy Time Murders, which is a fucking awful movie and no one should ever go see it. I won't be going and seeing it, so that'll be good. <laughs> um, on that note, that is the end of the show. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty okay Pod or at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com. You can also subscribe to our feed uh, on your podcatcher of choice. And then uh, every episode will show up like clockwork on Tuesdays without you having to come find us. If you opt for that route, please do us a favor. Leave a rating, review, hopefully a good one. Uh, please don't give us like one-star reviews. I would be sad. Um, or just five like stars on your Uber app. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or... You know, if you want to go even lower commitment than that, uh, if you've got a friend that you think might be interested in what we're doing, uh, tell them about it. We'd we'd love uh, we'd love to share what we're doing with them as we're well. We're equal opportunity tormentors. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, we will be back again next week, as always, to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Thanks for listening. Bye. You never